How many are intimidated at the thought of having to repair your own car? How many aren't? Okay. Those who aren't intimidated at repairing a car, it's because you've learned how to repair a car. If you said, Scott, you got to go change your spark plugs, I'd be like, what's a spark plug? Like, what, what, where, where do I start? I, I, I'm intimidated about that. Um, I have quite the reputation for my home repair in my house. You guys know that I'm really good. I'm not good. I'm always, Janelle, what do I, what, will, you, will you come fix this? And she is, she's smart at it, but I don't want to repair things. I'll make it worse. I, I know how that goes. How about learning to fly a plane? Who thinks that would be cool? Yeah? That scares the dickens out of me, let, getting on a plane, let alone, well, maybe as a control freak, I actually would rather fly the plane and think I'm in somehow in control. But my point in these questions is this. We're intimidated by things that we don't understand. We're intimidated when we don't have knowledge, when we don't have, you know, the right perspective. If we don't understand how something works, we're intimidated by it. Approaching the Bible is the same way. Where do I start? People ask me that all the time. Where do I start when it comes to reading the Bible? Because this book, you start getting in the Old Testament and stories and talking snakes and snakes biting people and what in the heck is this all about, right? And so I, uh, I think that's the... An important thing is that when you learn how to not be intimidated by it, but how to read it properly, it's so life-giving when it comes to the scriptures. I think there's two mistakes that we can look back in church history that have affected the way people, Christians, approach the Bible. The first one was what we call Christendom, and that's back in about 400 A.D., Emperor Constantine of the Roman Empire adopted Christianity to be the Roman Empire religion. So people were then now born into Christianity, christened and all of that. And it just, if you were a Roman, you were also a Christian. And in those times, you had only certain people could interpret the Bible. You had the Pope and you had priests, and they interpreted the Bible for everybody else. People just didn't get to read the Bible like we do today. Fast forward to the Reformation. The Reformation was the Protestant Reformation. The word Protestant means to protest. Now, we're Protestant as non-denominational, but we're not protesting anybody anymore, so I'm not sure that's a great word to use, but that's what that means. And in the Reformation, guys like Martin Luther, John Knox, John Calvin, they started seeing some things that, that were off in, in the church, and they began to protest those things. And they, rightly so, started talking about the priesthood of believers, meaning believers, you didn't need a priest or the pope to interpret Scripture. You could read it on your own and let God's Word speak, speak to you. But the pendulum went from here, where you can't interpret the Bible, to over here that, well, this individual... I'll just let the Bible speak to me. And I think both of those are, are off because you do need teachers. We do need help. We don't speak Hebrew and Greek and understand ancient cultures and so forth. So we do need help in reading this, this book. But it's still alive, it's still powerful, and it's still inspired by God. 
the people can mani- manipulate the Bible to say whatever they want it to say. I mean, how many terrible things have been justified by using the Bible when you just look at history? So we are starting a huge journey. I woke up this morning, I thought, are we really doing this? Like, you have no idea the undertaking that we've taken to, to prepare this journey through the Bible that, that we're starting today. We're starting this series called His Story. And I'm going to explain to you, as Kristen did as well last week, how you can be part of this Bible reading plan that's going to take us through all the major events of Scripture, throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, culminating in Jesus and ultimately His second coming. So my, our goal in this has been that maybe for some of you, the Bible has been intimidating. And it's like, eh, you know, I just, I'll avoid it. And, or, and you, but I really believe God's going to connect some dots. And you're going to grow in your faith. And we are going to grow as a, as a community um, from this undertaking. So today I wanted to give kind of just an overview as we begin tomorrow. I know some of you have already started ahead, but um, we were in our meeting before the service and people were saying, Pastor Scott's been telling me not to read the Bible. I never said that. (laughs) I said, don't start the plan until tomorrow. Read the Bible. What kind of church is that? Um, In Matthew, when Jesus is tempted in the, the wilderness for 40 days, he's tempted by the evil one. And there, Jesus is fasting this whole time, so he's hungry. And the evil one comes to Jesus and says, hey, if you're really the son of God, turn this rock into bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, and he says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We live on the words that God speaks. Their life is what Jesus is saying here. And in his temptation... He responded to the evil one every time with the word of God. He would speak back the word of God to him. So why do we say breakfast is the most important meal? Because with this whole intermittent fasting thing, that seems to be kind of been thrown out the window. But I know for me, you know, the word word breakfast means to break fast. You haven't eaten in a while, so you're breaking your fast. That's where that word comes from. You didn't know you were getting an English lesson as well today, but... um, I'm not a big breakfast person. Anybody, you make sure you eat a lot for breakfast? Okay, like three of you. Okay, I'm, I'm in the right crowd. Um, I don't like breakfast a whole lot. But I know at about 10 o'clock, my stomach just started... We can hear it. Like, and your stomach's growling because it's asking you for food. <laughs> Please give me some nutrition. Spiritually, all of our souls are growling for God, just hungry for God. We were created with that, and He wants to to feed us and satisfy us with who He is and through His Word. The writer of the book of Hebrews, he's challenging these Jewish believers, and he says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training 
have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. The importance of learning how to read the Bible for ourselves and to feed ourselves is ultra, ultra important. Like when you have a baby that's nursing and then moves to baby food and then to, you know, grown-up food and then they actually have to learn to feed themselves. Like that's a normal process, right? If that doesn't happen, it's very abnormal. So for ourselves spiritually, learning how to move off of just milk into depth of what God's Word has to say to us is, is very important, and it's expected that we grow. One 30-minute sermon a week is not going to grow you the way it will if you learn to read the Bible for yourself and within the context of community together. If you only ate you know, once a week, you'd be pretty skinny, right? <laughs> and malnourished. Um, so the same goes for, for learning how to read the Bible. Reading Scripture, studying Scripture is not just for pastors, Bible teachers, and theologians. It's for everybody. It's for all of us to learn how to do that. And really, the, the early church contemplated Scripture in the context of community. Like they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we want to do as well. And then David in Psalm 119, he says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Those two metaphors. That the word of God is, is, is a lamp that lights, it guides us on the path. The path is a metaphor for God's purpose for life. It's learning how to see life from God's vantage point. God's word is that light got a trusty illustration with me. So I got suckered into, from an infomercial, to buy, have you ever done that before? Buy these mag lights, and these things are powerful. Like I could run it over with my car and it would be fine. So that sold me on that, this thing. Like I bought like five of them, one for all the kids and a car and so forth. But this thing, I'm not going to point it in your face, but it has a strobe light. So if you were trying to rob me, I could just do the strobe light and you'd be incapacitated and I could run. But think about that word. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet on the path. That's what this it does. If you turn the lights completely out, I'd still could get to, it gets dark in here too. I could get out of here because of this flashlight. Well, God's word, he says, is that, that lamp. And then Paul tells Timothy, past, young pastor Timothy, he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Unless your name is Bear Grylls, you probably don't want to be lost in the wilderness, right? You get, you get dropped in, in, into the wilderness and, and you're, you're lost, there's that, that feeling of lostness. One of my bucket list things I'm going to do this summer is I'm going to climb a 14er. Anybody ever done that before? I've lived in Colorado all my life. I've never done that. So this year, it's happening. But let me make a promise to you. I'm staying on the path. I'm not wandering off into the wilderness trying to make my own way. I'm staying on the trail. I'm staying on the path. That's the visual that the Word of God is trying to give us. God has laid out a path on how to live life, how to have an abundant life. When we stray off of the path, we think we know what's better, 
then we're lost. And I think there's two kinds of lostness. There's a lostness and you don't know it. So you don't realize you're lost. Then there's the lost and you know it. That's a bad feeling, especially if you're in the wilderness or somewhere in the desert and you're, you just don't know how to, how to find your way. So we have to remember, we didn't create ourselves. God created us. So our creator gets to tell us what our purpose is. And that's where the word of God comes in for us. When, when Paul used four words about the inspired scriptures, he says, first of all, they're useful for teaching. The Bible's used for teaching. The Bible shows me the path of life that God's designed for me. That's why we, he gave us the book. It shows us the path. I don't mean that the Bible's going to tell you who to marry, what career to have, or what school to go to, but it is going to give you a framework to interpret life from, and to ultimately, the most important thing, find Jesus. Then it's useful for rebuking. The Bible shows me when I have strayed off his path on how he wants us to live. Then he says it's useful for correcting. That's the Bible showing me how to get back on the path when I've strayed off the path. Anybody ever strayed off the path? No, not in this group. And then he says it's useful for training. The Bible shows me how to stay on this path. And that's a lifelong you know, journey that we're on. But here's what I can promise you. The more you understand Scripture, the more stability you are going to have in your life, in your relationships, in your walk. The more you know God's promises, the more you are banking and putting your life in the hands of Jesus, the more stability you'll have in your life. So what are the, the steps, so to speak, in, in approaching the Bible? Step one is the word inspiration. Again, all scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. We need a reliable guide in our life. We need an authority above ourselves. The, the, the reason the world's so messed up is because we don't live under the authority of God. And Jesus said all authority has been given to him. And so, but his authority is not authoritative it's, listen, guys, I know how to live. I know how to really be human. I'm God. I created you. And he came into this world and lived a perfect life. The Bible is an ancient book written by ancient people with an ancient worldview. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. But if you try to read the Bible through 2022 American eyes with that lens, we're going we're to get it wrong. We're not going to apply it correctly. The Bible is both divine and human in its nature. It's divine in that it's, it's the inspired words of God, but God also uses humans. People didn't go into a trance when they wrote Scripture. Like Paul probably didn't even know he was writing Scripture when he wrote his letters to the churches. We figured out that they were spirit-inspired and that were useful to help us to, to know how to walk out the, uh, the life of Jesus in our churches. So you have the Old Testament narrative, you have Israel, you have you know, poetry, you have uh, the biographies of Jesus and the Gospels, history. And here, here's an important thing I learned from the Bible Project, guys, and I think this is pretty profound, that don't look at the Bible as a book. Look at it as a library. 
When you walk into a library, there's all kinds of books and sections within a library. You got, you know, you'll have poetry, you'll have biographies, you'll have fiction, nonfiction, etc. Well, the Bible is a, a library of books, different types of books. So what's the requirement of this step one of understanding the Bible's inspired by God? It requires faith. It requires faith. Can I trust the Bible? Is it a reliable guide to my life? Like it says that it is. And it's important that when you think of inspiration, there are levels of inspiration when it comes to the Bible. Um, there are times where there is direct revelation from God to the prophets, or when Jesus Christ speaks, that is direct revelation from God. But there's also other parts of the Bible that you, you go, is this inspired? For example, 1 Corinthians. Paul is talking to this, writing to this church in Corinth, which is a city in Greece, and he tells them, bad company corrupts good character. It's good advice. It's true. You, you act like who you hang out with. That, that is truth of that. But he's quoting a Greek philosopher from before the times of Jesus. So was the Greek philosopher inspired? Or does Paul take something in, the world, in, in their world and says, listen, this is, this is truth. Because you know what? All truth is God's truth. If it's true, it's God's truth. And so Paul uses that to tell them, like, you know, bad company corrupts good character. That was something within their culture that they could hang their hat on. But the Bible ultimately is a book pointing to the living word. Jesus culminates with him. The second step is devotion. Devotion. The psalmist says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. That's one of my prayers for all of us. Those of you that are like, eh, I don't know about reading the Bible through a year, especially that Old Testament stuff. My prayer for you is that it would be a joy, not a drudgery. That we would learn how to find joy from the Scriptures instead of it being homework or a checkoff list that I, I did my duty. And I get it. All of us approach the Bible and sometimes it's just, it goes right over our head. It's like water going through the pipes and you got nothing. Well, the more you do it, the more you understand how the Bible works, the more joy you will get from it. I know when I neglect the Word that I, I can have a bad attitude. I can, have, I can be cold. And you might think, well, Scott, you prepare sermons every week. How are you neglecting the Word? Well, if I don't read this devotionally between me and God in a relational matter, then I'm just... I'm not connecting with him. If, if all of my Bible reading comes to make a sermon or a teaching, I'm missing it relationally. And I pray every week that whatever I'm going to speak on is birthed out of my own relationship, my own time with Jesus to give to you guys on a, on a weekly basis. It's important. What's the requirement then of this, this step is time. It takes time. It takes time to make time to read the Bible. And the cool part about the Bible app that we're using, it also has audio. So you can listen to your daily reading on your way to work or on your commute or whatever that is. I mean, you don't, that's not sacrilegious to listen to the Bible. Like, I enjoy reading it, but you can also listen to it. It's, it's not going to come back void. That's the promise. To get healthy physically takes time. 
Don't you wish there was a, a microwave that we could pop in and boom, hey, I'm fit. You know? <laughs> that would be great. It just doesn't work that way. It, it takes time to exercise. It takes time to pr- prepare meals, to eat right. Fast food is called fast food because you don't have to prepare it. But we all know it's not really good for you, right, if you live on fast food. So it takes discipline as well. Health takes time, discipline. Time is going to create a habit. And habits create results, good or bad. And this, I know it's going to be good for us. The third step is meditation. Meditation. We start with believing that it's the inspired word of God. We devote our time to read and, and understand scripture. And then we meditate. David in Psalm 1 says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. To meditate on something means to think deeply about it, to ruminate over it. Um, Do you know worry is just a negative form of meditation? You're playing over what if thoughts in your mind and is this going to happen? What if, what if, what if? You're meditating on something, but it's, it's negative. Kind of a side note, funny story. Years ago, Janelle and I, we were sitting on the couch and we didn't have the radio on, we didn't have the TV on, we were just kind of just chilling and she caught me like I was off in space and she was like, well, what are you thinking about? And I was like, do you really want to know? She goes, yeah. She thought something profound was going to come out of my mouth. And I said, well, to be honest with you, I'm thinking that Ian Stewart and Mark Reynolds are basically the same player. (laughs) Ian Stewart was a power hitting third baseman who struck out a lot for the Rockies. And Mark Reynolds was the same guy for the Arizona Diamondbacks. (laughs) She was like, oh, that's, that's heavy. That's deep. (laughs) Pastor. (laughs) What is the requirement of meditation? It's using our minds. The requirement to meditate on Scripture is thinking. Ask questions of what you're reading. Don't just read it to power through it. Ask questions of what's going on. How can you see yourself in the stories? The failures, the victories, the ups, the downs. Ask yourself, is there a promise that I can claim when I read this? God will convict us through his word and there might be something that I need to confess. Change, an attitude to change. One thing I think is important is that to meditate on scripture is have a little notebook with you, a little spiral notebook or something. And when a verse stands out to you, stop and write out that verse. That's a form uh, of meditating. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As you, if you write out that verse, you start out and you emphasize each word. I can do all things who strengthens me. I can do all things who strengthen me. You see what I'm saying? And that's, you're meditating when you're doing that. You're making it come more alive to you. The goal of the Bible is to get us to change our minds about God, ourselves, and others. To see life from his vantage point and to go in the direction of Jesus. Repentance is a good word. It's something that we do every day. We have to have our minds changed and our direction changed. The last step is interpretation. 
Paul told Pastor Timothy, he said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And I'll say this to you. When I speak or anybody speaks, don't just take their word for it because they have a title or a degree or whatever. Like, do your own homework. Like, follow it up. Because we can get off if we're, there's not some sort of accountability when it comes to our understanding of things. In the book of Acts, Paul preached the gospel to the Bereans, and he told them the good news about Jesus. And it says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The Apostle Paul, they wanted to check and see if what Paul actually said was true. So when it comes to interpreting the Bible, when we take a book that the Old Testament written in Hebrew and and the New Testament in Greek, the cultures, all of this, how do I lift out what this is trying to say to me today? That's what we're doing when it comes to interpretation. And a lot of times people say, well, will you interpret it for me? And that's throughout scripture as well. We need one another. That's why reading the Bible in community is super important in your home groups, in your families. If you'll take this challenge of reading the Bible, read it as a couple, read it as a family, Um, learn to to do it together and ask questions of it. You won't regret it. The word, the requirement of interpretation is study. It means, again, it takes time. The most important word when it comes to interpretation is the word context, Context is so important to reading the Bible. What do the verses before this verse that I'm studying say? The verses after. What is it, how does it line up with the chapter, the book that I'm reading? How does it line up with the whole uh, scope of Scripture? I remember when COVID first happened. This is an interpretation, <laughs> out of context illustration. Someone texted me, not part of Novation, so don't look around the room, uh, asked me if COVID was a fulfillment of what the prophet Amos says about sending pestilence to the land. I was like, really, dude? You think the same hands that healed the lepers and the sick is now in heaven sending COVID? Give me a break. Like, what's your view of God? What's your view of Jesus? Our view of God has to look like Jesus. And then we work backwards from there. That's taking something out of context. That was written at a different time for different people. So it's important to understand context. Ask questions. Get familiar. To get familiar with Scripture is, who's writing this book? Who's the audience? Why are they writing? What did it mean to the original audience? And how does it apply to me today? Good example. In the Civil War times, uh, Christians used the Bible to justify slavery. Because the Apostle Paul, in several of his letters, he says, you know, children obey your parents, husband love your wives, etc. And slaves obey your masters. So they said, see, Paul says, slaves obey your masters. He's, he's, scripture's okay with that. That's out of context. The cultural context was 
It's not the kind of slavery we think of of taking someone against their will and making them work for us. And, and, you know, that type of slavery. It's The slavery was people were working off debts. If you couldn't pay your taxes or you had bills to pay, you went and worked for somebody to pay off your debt. That's what they called, you know, slaves. So in our modern context, when we read that, we probably could say employee-employer relationships more than trying to use the word slave. I get that's what it means, but you can take that out of context context to make the Bible say what you want it to say. Another tough example, Psalm 139 is the, the psalmist is grieving and lamenting what happened in Babylon to the Jewish people, how they were mistreated. And at the end of the psalm, he says, you know what, we're going to take the heads of their babies and dash them on the rocks. Is that the word of God in the same way the words of Jesus? No, it's a human having a human experience of grief and vengeance. So if we try to make a doctrine out of that, I think we're kind of missing the whole point there of who Jesus is. So what's going on is so important. Who's talking? Because it's the word, word of God, but there are different ways of understanding it as the Word of God, human and, and divine. And I'm not ashamed to say that because God... This is how he chose to communicate to us. But it's also why Jesus came to the earth as the true living word of God to explain what God was like. John chapter 1 says, Jesus, no one had ever seen God before until Jesus, but God the Son has explained God to us. I like using what I call a Jesus hermeneutic when you read the Bible. Hermeneutics is the science of studying how to interpret Scripture. And so you got to put Jesus over everything and, and then interpret it through how would Jesus interpret these passages? He's our rabbi. He's our teacher. Don't be afraid as you're reading to say, Jesus, what does this mean? And through his spirit, he'll help you either through in community or, or his, however he wants to, to speak it to you. But we got to make sure when we approach the Bible, we don't have our ism that we overlay the scripture. We all have some isms that we interpret the Word of God through, or we, we interpret it Americanly, Republicanly, say that fast, democratically, or whatever, our, our Calvinism, Arminianism, Zionism, uh, nationalism, on and on and on, and you put that over the Bible, and then you see you're not just letting the Bible speak to us the way God meant for it to speak to us. We put an agenda on there. And we're all guilty of it. I, I definitely have been growing in my understanding to not read it with that ism over the top. We have to get in the mind of the author, get in the mind of the audience. So after church, as Brian said earlier, today we're going to have lunch. Um, I'm going to talk to a few people and interview them on how they approach the Bible and just an opportunity to celebrate this undertaking that, that, that we're doing. And also, once a month, we're going to do what we call the mid, midweek midrash. Midrash is a Hebrew term for community studying Scripture together. And maybe you get questions that you have along the way. The first one's going to be May the 12th. That's a Thursday. We'll start in the cafe. And, but if everyone comes, we'll move it into here. But let's have time to discuss and grow together. What are the results 
as we take these steps in approaching the Bible. Have you ever noticed infomercials? The, what do the infomercials always do? They always show you the results that if you eat their food or use this piece of exercise equipment, boom, you're going to just drop it like that. Because they, they, they give you the results to make it look easy so that you buy their products or whatever. And here's the reality. It's not easy. Just as in physical health, spiritual growth takes time and it takes discipline, but the results are awesome. The results are awesome. The first result is it what we call illumination. The lights go on. Aha, wow, that makes sense to me. Now I can apply this to my life. David says in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I might see the wonderful things in your law. I love learning. Um, I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, reading the Bible. I have a master's degree in biblical studies. And guess what? I'm far from arriving to any place. This is a lifelong journey of growing. I feel like I've grown more personally in the last three years in my deeper understanding of Scripture than I had my whole you know, time I was even in, in Bible school and all of that. It, it, something clicked when we went to Israel and I began to see the Old Testament a little different. I mean, if I'll be honest with you, it's kind of like, can I just avoid the Old Testament? And I used to make a statement that, you know, you can't understand the Old Testament without the New Testament. I've had that completely flipped in my approach to Scripture. So much of what Jesus was fulfilling when it comes to Israel and the Old Testament that's just really changed how I see things. So I'm growing. We're going to continue to grow together. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey. If you're a novice, a rookie, or you're a seasoned veteran, we're still going to keep growing together. When you read the Bible, see it as like a treasure hunt, looking for Jesus. He's the treasure. And look for his treasures along the way. The second result is transformation. Transformation. The Apostle Paul told, told the church at Rome, he said, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. His word transforms our thought life. And when my thought life is transformed, that's going to result in behavior being changed. You know, we often, if, if, if our lives are displaying bad behavior or bad habits, we try and change our behavior. I'm just going to try harder. How does that work? You usually find yourself wanting to do the thing you're trying not to do or just fall right back into the same trap. Thoughts, into my mind, thoughts determine feelings and feelings and emotions determine behavior. You get an angry thought, goes into an angry feeling, into angry behavior. That's good or bad. So thoughts, feelings, behavior. The Word of God transforms us. The Gospel, understanding Jesus. And then the last result is application. We apply it to our lives. James, who is the um, half-brother of Jesus, he tells the church, he says, but don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourselves. For if you just listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. 
You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Becoming doers of the word. We don't want to be people filled with knowledge that don't love or that don't do and practice the things that were were taught from Jesus and the scriptures. When you and I believe that God is good and that he knows what's best, therefore we do what he says to do or we avoid what he says to avoid, that takes faith. And it's really learning how to let his wisdom lead our lives rather than being wise in our own eyes, like the proverb says. Doing what God says to do, when we do it, we're going to become the people we're supposed to be. That's the bottom line. We become like Jesus. So here's my challenging conclusion. Will you come on this journey? I feel like we are at the train station. And it's getting ready to roll. Uh, King Jesus got his conductor hat on. (laughs) He's leading this charge. And we're going to get on this together. And we're going to read and we're going to, to engage with Scripture, maybe like you never have before. Would you come with us? Come with us on this journey. I can't wait to hear all the cool things that God's going to do through our time. So if you weren't here last week, or you, you're, you're new to this, pull out your phone, please. Go to the Novation app. Go to the tile that says His Story, Resources. And so beginning tomorrow, the the Bible Project is just a phenomenal ministry. Tim Mackey, who is the main teacher, him and John, they're smart dudes. Like They know the languages and the history, but they're humble. So I really appreciate their humility and how they, they approach things. And they've put together this reading that we're going to go together, and you can do it on a daily basis. You click the watch. They make these little kind of animated videos that give context to books of the Bible and so on and so forth and really help you. But then when you click on read, it's going to take you to the version. is a Bible app that has tons of translations. So you can read it or you can listen to it. And some, some might say, well, what translation should, uh, is best? The one you read. <laughs> but, I mean, there are better, like, word-for-word translations are like the New American Standard, the ESV, you know, the New King James. Those are word-for-word, and they're good. But then you have, like, the New Living Translation and the, the, the NIV are more thought-for-thought thought and not as kind of choppy or wooden. Um, I'd start with one of those. If you're, if you're new to this, but it says start plan. If you have never downloaded the app, it's just going to ask for your email and give you a login. And then, boom, I'm starting my plan. Should I make it visible to my friends or keep it private? Just kidding. Here we go. You read the devotional. Genesis 1, 2, 3, and Psalm 1. Tomorrow. And then it'll take you through all the the rest of the the year 
We're going to go all the way through Scripture together. On a Sunday basis, we're going to teach from something that will be really near whatever our reading is going on. We went through and laid out all the way at least till Christmas on you know, characters and subjects and events as well. So it'll all coincide together. So my prayer is that you stick around, eat some food. Let's keep growing together. And, and start that tomorrow as well. You start your reading. Start today if you want to. But I mean, it's supposed to start tomorrow. So I have a little word that my lovely wife told me about how this is lunch thing is working. We're going to eat lunch in the sanctuary. If you have kids, go ahead and make kids uh, their plate of food and take it to them in the children's area. And then get your food. And we'll start in about 15 minutes. Um, we're probably going to eat lunch. We're not going to be here a ton of time. Um, you know, maybe 30 minutes to, you know, 30 to 40 minutes max for if you're worried about time or have something else going on. Let me pray. Lord, you're good. Thank you for, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that your words give life, and hope, peace, salvation, what you've done for us. Help us, Lord, to jump in with this and help us with our questions and help us to help each other grow in our understanding of your word. Thanks for the food we're going to eat, for supplying all that we need. Jesus' name, amen.